Good evening. A little better. Remember I said that we had saved our single biggest presentation for tonight. We were going to talk about dinosaurs, correct? I will only remind you of my background just for a moment because I have an interesting background to talk about dinosaurs. Again, I was born out in California, raised on the campus at Cal Berkeley, and when I wasn't learning evolution in school, I used to spend my time in the paleontology laboratories at Cal Berkeley learning about these things. So remember, I used to teach about dinosaurs from an evolutionary standpoint at one time, and so I've been on both sides. It kind of gives me a good, good thing to teach on, don't you think? And with that in mind, let's start taking a look at tonight's presentation. We're going to take a look tonight at the dinosaurs, the Bible, the fossils, and what is the actual physical evidence that we find in the ground? Now, when people do find out about my background, having been an evolutionist, having taught about dinosaurs from an evolutionary standpoint, and now knowing that, of course, I'm a Christian and I teach it from a creation standpoint, the first question they always ask me is, well, are dinosaurs found in the Bible? And I say, of course dinosaurs are found in the Bible. They read it every day. Oh, some of you need caffeine before you come in here. But let's talk about what does the word dinosaur actually mean? Because you see, in public schools, uh, generally when you ask what does the word dinosaur mean, they'll tell you that it means terrible lizard or thunder lizard. But that is not what the word dinosaur actually means. The word dinosaur itself was actually coined in 1841 by a man named Sir Richard Owen. And in 1841, Sir Richard Owen knew exactly what he meant. He did not call them terrible or thunder lizards. What the word actually means is awesome lizard. Because in 1841, Sir Charles Owen believed that dinosaurs were part of God's awesome creation. And therefore, he called them awesome lizards. But of course, the word dinosaur does not exist in the Bible since it was only coined in 1841. Therefore, what is the most common word for dinosaurs prior to 1841? Now, there are various words, but the most common is simply the word dragon. Dragon is just the ancient word for dinosaur. And so the real question we want to look at tonight is, are dinosaurs mentioned in the Bible? I think that's a much better question. But if you were here last night, and I realize that many of you were not, but remember my question, if God starts the Bible on day one, week one, month one, year one, is there any such thing as prehistoric, correct? Well, think that way for just a moment. So are dinosaurs going to be mentioned in the Bible? Because they are historic. You know, the, the word prehistoric is technically a non-word. It was a word invented by evolutionists, but it has no significant meaning because there is no such thing as prehistoric. Everything is historic. And dinosaurs are definitely mentioned in the Bible. Dinosaurs and what people consider their relatives are mentioned 11 times in the Bible. Now, I'm going to ask all of you a quick question. Um, which book of the Bible do you think would find the first reference to dinosaurs? I was trying to give you a hint there. First, Genesis, yes, okay. And in the book of Genesis, which, which uh, chapter do you think you would find the first reference to dinosaurs? Chapter 1, excellent. <laughs> Let's just take a look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 21 and 23. This is day 5 of the week of creation. And on day 5, God created the great sea monsters or whales, also sometimes translated dragons, now, what I've done is I have put the Hebrew word here, but spelled in English characters so you could read it. But this is plural, dragons. And, well, those are the ones that live in the water. These are the great aquatic marine reptiles. And then it says the creatures that fly through the air. Now, in your translation, you might have every winged bird. However, God does not classify creatures the same way that you and I do. We have a very, very good method of classifying creatures scientifically, and it was invented 300 years ago by a Christian creation-believing scientist. Uh, and it's a very good system. But God doesn't use that system. He's got his own system. And God lumps things together in ways that we don't. And when you have that translation, winged bird, 
actually it means any animal that flies. Not insects, but any animal that flies. And therefore, it includes the flying mammals like bats, the flying reptiles, as well as birds with feathers, okay? So it's all three, not just one. And so God creates the reptiles that fly in the air, the reptiles that swim in the water on day five, and then if we turn to day six, verses starting with 24, it says that he made all the creatures that live on the dry land, and when it says beasts of the field or beasts of the earth, that's two typical translations, that is a direct reference to terrestrial land-dwelling dinosaurs. And so God made the terrestrial dinosaurs on the same day that he made man. It's just that Adam and Eve were the last things to be created on day six. But dinosaurs and people were created on the same day. And dinosaurs and people lived together contemporaneously for 1,656 years until the time of Noah's flood. Now, we did do this on Sunday, but I know many of you are not here on Sunday. And so, particularly for those that are here tonight, I want everybody in the room to say a loud, hearty amen. I would like support from the young people here. So a big, loud, hearty amen after my next statement. Never, ever get your education from government-run television, National Geographic, The Learning Channel, Discovery Channel, Animal Planet, or Hollywood. Amen. Not bad. Better next time, but not bad. Um, for example, Jurassic Park movies. They are not science. They are not science fiction. They're not even science fantasy. What are the Jurassic Park movies? They are, number one, entertainment. We'll all agree they're entertaining. Okay? And number two, they are pure propaganda. The Jurassic Park movies are not even consistent with the theory of evolution they were made to promote. And I can assure you, they were made to promote evolution. And remember that dinosaurs didn't eat each other and they didn't eat people. If you'll take a look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 29 and 30, it says that God created all the creatures as vegetarians initially. So initially, they were vegetarians. And you may not know this, but 19 years ago, now that's before any of you all were born, but 19 years ago, evolutionists at the highest level reclassified T-Rexes, Velociraptors, Oviraptors as vegetarians. They were not meat eaters. Simply because an evolutionist tells you that sharp claws and sharp teeth mean it's meat eating and flat teeth and flat claws make it a vegetarian. It's simply not true. Right here, right now, you could think of dozens of animals that have sharp claws and sharp teeth, but are entirely vegetarian. And so they were reclassified as vegetarian. So I want you to think about this. Uh, for instance, if you had lived between creation and the flood of Noah, you could have had a pet T-Rex. Yeah, you could have, because they were vegetarians. They didn't eat people. They didn't eat meat. Now, they did start to eat meat later, but that's because of human sin. And as Pastor will tell you, because he has been to lunch with me and so forth, I am forever grateful for Genesis chapter 9, verse 3. If you're not familiar with Genesis 9, 3, it says, after the flood, God commands and says, now you shall eat meat. Amen. Boy, <laughs> I'm eternally grateful for Genesis 9, 3. Um, but dinosaurs and people got along just fine. They were all vegetarians until the time of the flood, basically. And remember that at the time of the flood, God commanded Noah. He commanded him to build the ark, which he did. But Noah did not collect the animals, correct? Because he was busy building the ark. God sent the animals he was to take with him, correct? And what was the qualifier to be on the ark? If you'll read this very carefully, it says this. In order for an animal to be put into the ark, it had to live on dry land and it had to breathe air through nostrils. It must live on the dry land and breathe air through nostrils. That was the requirement. So, first of all, does anybody here believe there were uh, aquariums on the ark? Hello? No. So, anything aquatic survived outside, correct? And... Well, there were no fish, nothing that lives in the water, uh, no mammals that live in the water, and uh, there, were no, um, there were no amphibians. 
Amphibians like to be wet, right? And many of them don't breathe air through nostrils. And uh, it also eliminates all the insects because insects do not breathe through nostrils. There are no insects on the ark. <clears throat> Although I do find it terribly difficult to believe that there could be one pair of camels without one pair of fleas. I admit it. But aren't you kind of glad he didn't take termites? Apparently, y'all need to think about that. And it says that God sent the animals one pair, one male, one female of the unclean kind. And then he sent four males and three females of the clean kind. The fourth male was sacrificed by Noah after the flood in a burnt offering, thanksgiving for surviving the flood, leaving three pairs of breeding clean animals, like cows, for instance, all right, sheep. But, but, dinosaurs are reptiles. Reptiles are unclean, biblically speaking. That means that God sent to Noah one pair of each dinosaur kind. Remember, it's by kind. But God sent one pair of each dinosaur kind to be on the ark with Noah. And there were dinosaurs on the ark with Noah. And if you do not believe me, I hope to convince you. Because there are nine references to dinosaurs in the Old Testament after the flood. And I want to take you to some of these, okay? So first of all, God creates the land-dwelling dinosaurs on day six. They live contemporary with people till the flood. God sent dinosaurs on the ark to preserve them. After the flood, they did come out of the ark. They did start to reproduce. Now, for those of you that are good students, I want to kind of give you a, a chronology, a timeline. So if you're making notes, it would be wise if you could put a line on a piece of paper. And just to give you an idea, this is going to be a timeline. And on the left, put 4000 B.C. That's basically the time of creation. Then come over about one-third of the way. That's exactly 1,656 years. That's the time of Noah's flood. And so Noah's flood is about 2350, 2340 B.C. Then if you come over to the right just a, a little bit, 150 years, that's the time of 2200 B.C. Now, at that time... Well, what are we going to have? The, the flood is about 2350 B.C. 2200 B.C. is the time of the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel is 150 years after the flood. Then if you come over and make a mark right in the middle of the line, that's 2000 B.C. That is the time of the man Job, and Abraham was a young man at that time. That's 2000 B.C. Then, if you come over three-quarters of the way, make a line at 1000 B.C. That is the time of King Saul, immediately followed by King David. And then if you'll come over just 300 more years and make a mark at 700 B.C., that is the time of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was a contemporary of the king Hezekiah, and he lives at 700 to 750 B.C., and that timeline is going to help you to kind of understand where these verses are chronologically. Now, 350 years after the flood, at the time of the man Job, God speaks. And in Job chapter 40, verse 15, God says, Behold now, behemoth. Now, please notice, God says he eats grass like an ox. This is a vegetarian, correct? Now, the word behemoth is not an English translation. That is a Hebrew word simply spelled in English characters. And what does it mean? If you did translate it into English, it would mean beast of beasts. Beast of beasts. Does that sound big to you? Beast of beasts? It sounds big, right? And God says, behold now, right? What's God saying? He's saying, pay special attention to this. Is that right? Okay, in Alabama, God said, looky here. And, uh, but he's pay saying, pay special attention to this big thing, right? The next verse, verse 16, he says, this creature has tremendous strength and power. Verse 17 says, he has a tail like a cedar tree. 
Now, there are people who lack faith, lack knowledge, or lack both. And when they translate Bibles, when they make comments in the margins and so forth, take a look for yourself. Because sometimes they'll say, oh, this is just some large land animal that we know of today. It's an elephant, a mastodon, it's a rhinoceros, a hippopotamus, and so forth. But God says that this creature has a tail the size of a cedar tree, correct? Now, I have done mission work in Africa on three different occasions, and I can assure you that when they kill an elephant in Africa, they cut off the tail and they use it as a fly swatter. It's a very hard way to get fly swatters. It's really hard on the elephant. Do you all have no compassion whatsoever? <laughs> but please tell me, does an elephant have a tail the size of a cedar tree? I don't think so, do you? And what about the tail of a hippopotamus? I mean, what's the matter? You've never been mooned by a hippo? But does it have a tail the size of a cedar tree? I don't think so. And if they did have a tail the size of a cedar tree, I mean, what would they look like? Hello? No, God is describing a large, air-breathing, land-dwelling dinosaur 350 years after the flood. And if we take a look at verse 18, notice it says that he has bones like tubes of bronze and bars of iron. Now, this may sound poetic, but it is actually a very carefully structured scientific statement. Think with me. This tells us that it is not a hippo, an elephant, etc., because they are mammals, and mammals have solid bones. Reptiles have hollow bones. And so one says that tubes of, well, this is telling us it's a reptile, hello? So it's a very important scientific statement. Now, also, this is the drawing of a brachiosaur, which is about a medium-sized uh, dinosaur, um, it was made famous by Jurassic Park movie number one. I'm sure many of you have seen Jurassic Park movie number one. Just to remind you, this is the dinosaur that sneezes all over the little girl. Come on, I'm just trying to bring back vivid memories, folks, okay? Now, we find them with links up to 43 feet long, um, but I would like to do something tonight. Tonight, I would like to show you the photograph of the toe bone of a brachiosaur. So this is just a picture of the toe bone of a brachiosaur. Are you ready? Apparently not. I, are you, you don't sound ready. Are, are you ready? ready? You are ready. Oh, this is the toe bone. That's my knuckle. Hello? <laughs> Apparently it takes a lot to impress you guys. Well, let me, let me show you what it would look like if a man were standing next to the front leg of a brachiosaur, are you ready? You don't sound ready. Are you ready? Oh. Here's the front leg of a brachiosaur, and this is a man. Hello? Do those look like tubes of bronze and bars of iron to you? I think so, too. And then, of course, if we go to Job chapter 41, verse 1, God again says, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? Now, God must love Leviathans. They're not dinosaurs. They're marine reptiles. But God must love them because he mentions them five times in the Old Testament. Job 41 starts a description of what one looks like, but they are also found in Job 3, Psalm 74, Psalm 104, and Isaiah 27. Now, Job was written 4,000 years ago, 2000 B.C., correct? The book of Psalms was completed over a long period of time. You cannot always tell when a psalm was written. However, we know exactly when Isaiah lived. And think with me. Isaiah the prophet says that these great marine reptiles were in existence only 2,700 years ago. Do you consider Isaiah to be a reliable witness? Excuse me? Oh, you do. Well, he says that these great marine reptiles existed only 2,700 years ago. And up until about 80 years ago, we thought that Leviathan might be one of these creatures. Now, this is a chronosaur with a length up to 30 feet, 
Uh, this is a plesiosaur with a length up to 51 feet. And, and up until 80 years ago, creation scientists, and, and creation scientists are nothing new. We've been around for a long time, hundreds of years. Uh, but but uh, up until 80 years ago, we thought it was one of these two creatures. But then 80 years ago, we found something. You see, in the middle of the Sahara Desert, we found this. This is called the super croc. You see, this crocodile is 40 foot long and would have weighed about 10 tons. I think you'll agree, that's a lot of croc. Now, the first question I think we should ask is, what is a 40 foot long crocodile doing in the middle of the Sahara Desert? I think that's a really good question, don't you? The classic answer to that is, anything he wants to. But let me show you the skeleton of one of these creatures in a museum. Here is a 40-foot-long fossil skeleton of a super croc, but I find that people are always drawn to big claws, big jaws of big creatures. Would you agree? I mean, that's kind of what always draws people, right? And so let's take a look. These are the jaws. They're six foot long. And you see the little guy right down there? He's called a light snack. Hello? But I mentioned that I've done mission work in Brazil. I've been to Brazil 16 years doing mission work. The very first year that I went to Brazil to do mission work, we found this, the fossil skeleton of a crocodile 50 foot long. So here, well, the description of Job fits any of these creatures, and therefore the word Leviathan might be a specific creature, but it might be a general term for any of these creatures. Again, God's classification system is different than ours. But certainly we have the physical evidence to support the description. Also, if you'll take a look at Psalm 91.13, now it says, uh, talking about a real lion, a real snake, a real lion, and then it says, and a real, now the King James uses dragon. Again, dragon's just the old word for dinosaur, correct? Now, I'd like to show you something that we found back in 2003 at Hell Creek, Montana. Hell Creek, Montana is one of the world's most famous sites for dinosaur remains because we find literally millions of dinosaurs and dinosaur pieces at Hell Creek. But back in 2003, we found this. This is a 12-foot-long uh, dinosaur skeleton. It was given the nickname Dragon King. However, the technical name for it is Dracorex Hogwartsii. Perhaps some of you are familiar with the Harry Potter movies? Yes, it's named after Hogwarts. Um, now, this is a 12-foot-long uh, skeleton of a dinosaur, but I would like to do something. I'm about to show you the close-up side view of the skull of this creature. And I'm going to ask you to look at it, and I'm going to ask you, does this sort of kind of look like what you'd sort of kind of expect a dragon to sort of kind of look like, okay? Are you ready? You don't sound ready. Oh, you are ready. Well, tell me, does this sort of kind of look like what you'd expect a dragon to sort of kind of look like? I certainly think so. And then, of course, well... In Isaiah 14, Isaiah chapter 30, twice he talks about seeing flying serpents, flying reptiles, or flying dragons. Again, Isaiah is only 2,700 years ago, correct? And if you do consider that Isaiah is a reliable witness, then here he says he saw flying reptiles twice, correct? Now, based on what we know, we think that... Uh, He's talking about this one right here. Now, these are just two drawings of two of the winged reptiles we know of from the fossil record. But we think Isaiah is talking about this one right here. Now, the name for this one is Rhamphorhynchus. And uh, I'm leaving tomorrow morning. Tomorrow afternoon, there'll be a spelling test. Uh, but Rhamphorhynchus is only the size of a seagull. And I do think you all do know what a seagull looks like, correct? So it's just the size of a seagull. But I would like to talk about this one down here. Now, there are other winged reptiles. These are just two of the ones we know about. 
But I want to talk about this one down here for just a moment. Now, up here, we see the actual skeleton, the fossil skeleton of one of these creatures right here. Would you agree it's a little hard to tell how big that is, though, right? I mean, hanging up against the ceiling, it's a little hard to see how big it is, right? You know? So what I thought I would do is I'll show you a drawing of what it would look like if a man were standing next to one of these creatures. There's the man. Here's the creature you see here. You see it has a wingspan of 36 feet. This is not something you want to run into in a dark alley. Oh, come on, folks, you know, group hug. So here we have 11 descriptions of dinosaurs in the Old Testament. What about reliable human history of dinosaurs and people living together after the close of the Old Testament? I have a different presentation where I show many more than this, but I just want to give you a quick review of a few. The Old Testament was completed, closed about 400 B.C., at the time that the Old Testament is being completed, there's a very famous Greek man. He is an evolutionist, and he is the first truly great historian after the Old Testament. His name is Herodotus. He's called the father of history, and in his writings, he talks about winged serpents, flying reptiles. The description he gives us here of one sounds exactly like Ramparenchus we just took a look at. But this is 300 years after Isaiah, correct? And then again, 100 years after Herodotus, there's another very famous Greek evolutionist. How many of you remember a guy named uh, Alexander the Great? Boy, nobody. Come on, y'all. Good. I'm glad you remember Alexander. Because if you didn't remember Alexander the Great, he'd be really upset. Hello? That's why he called himself the Great, you know. Um, but... But he was leading his troops into northwestern India, and uh, along the way they saw dragons being kept in caves. Well, that's 2,300 years ago. Now, if you are going to be a good student of the Bible, you must read the first century Christian historian, the Apostle Luke. But if you are going to be a truly good student of the Bible, you must also read the non-Christian historian of the first century, Flavius Josephus. And in the writings of Flavius Josephus, 2,000 years ago, he talks about flying serpents, winged reptiles, etc. But he gives us one interesting thing. He says they lived in holes in the ground, but they flew through the air. Now, he wrote that 2,000 years ago. But ladies and gentlemen, it has only been 15 years ago that we actually found what I will call fossil dinosaur burrows. We've actually found where small dinosaurs dug holes in the ground and did live, and so his description is accurate. But he wrote it long before we knew about it, so that kind of gives credence to his description, wouldn't you agree? At the same time that Flavius Josephus is writing his very famous histories, there's another Roman evolutionist, the naturalist Pliny the Elder. Now, a naturalist is kind of like an early form of scientist, but in the year 77, he wrote a book describing how dragons and dinosaurs used to fight each other in India. 200 years later, another Roman evolutionist and naturalist, his name was Philostratus, Flavius Philostratus. And he wrote that the India was full of dragons of all sizes, that every ridge had them, and that those that lived in the swamp had a certain color, and they had a crest on top of their head. Well, that's kind of interesting, because why would he write they had a crest on top of their head unless he knew there were some that didn't? And we know of dinosaurs that did and didn't. And that's only, well, 1,800 years ago. But let's go on. How many of you remember a guy named Marco Polo? Oh, come on, you remember Marco Polo, right? Now, he left Europe in 1271 and walked to western China. He entered into western China in the spring of 1273. And there he accurately describes a large two-legged dinosaur. He says it was on two legs, a serpent, therefore a reptile, about 30 foot long with a big head full of big sharp teeth, something that looked like that. 
And he accurately describes that only 700 years ago. And uh, how many of you remember the very famous year 1611? Because in the very famous year of 1611, we have the records of the emperor of China having to hire a royal dragon care feeder or royal dragon caregiver. It can be translated either way. But this is accurately described only 400 years ago. Is that correct? And let's go back to Europe. Let's go back to England. Let's go back to the year 1484. William Caxton was the first man in England to use a printing press with movable type. And he did not print Bibles, but he did print Bible verses on that press. But he also published a book in 1484 in which he said that, uh, well, dinosaurs, small dinosaurs at least, lived in northern Italy at that time. Now that's 1484. Only 90 years later, one of the world's truly great historic scientists, a man named Ulysses Aldrovandus, very important in the history of science, so important that he is actually called the father of modern natural history. You see, he is the first man in human history to acquire a large building, collect 7,000 samples from nature, and put them on display in the world's first natural history museum. But in 1572, he records an encounter with a small dinosaur. Actually, it was a baby, but it's a small dinosaur. And he actually paints us a picture here. And in Latin, he describes the creature here because in 1572, Latin was the, the language of science. And he calls it a dragon. Now, he shows it has scales. Uh, we can see here a forked tongue like a snake. It's definitely a reptile. Anybody notice anything else about it that's interesting? Oh, it only has two legs in the front. Right. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Now, you're going to say, well, that's fiction. But I can assure you, ladies and gentlemen, that is not fiction. That is reality. Let me show you a species of reptile alive today that has only two legs in the front. There is a species of reptile today that has only two legs in the back. This is reality. And he's showing this to us just a little over 400 years ago. Is that correct? Oh. Now, there are many other references, I assure you. But I only want to take time for one more. Now, 1496. Well, I'll say two more. I beg your pardon. This is 1496 in England. What you see here is the top of the tomb of a Christian bishop who died in 1496. He was the Bishop of Carlisle. Carlisle is one of the most northern cathedrals in England. I was there only a few years ago, very pretty spot, and very historic. But as is usual with British, uh, English, well, you know, cathedrals of that age, uh, People were often born and lived in the area. If they were prominent people, kings, queens, bishops, they were buried in the cathedral. And when he died, he was buried in the floor of the cathedral. And British uh, cathedrals are very famous for their brass plaques. And again, here you can see these plaques on the floor. Is that correct? Now, I want you to look at this one right here. I realize you can't really see it right here. And again, we didn't turn off the lights tonight. But... Um, that plaque right there, I'm going to show you a close-up so you really can see what's on there. But please take a look because that plaque looks like this. Here we see two long-necked dinosaurs with necks entwined. This is a very common thing for animals that have long necks or long noses. Giraffes do this. It's a way of showing familiar relationship. It's a matter of courting as well. But it's a common animal behavior. But if you look closely, you will notice it is two different species of dinosaur. Do you notice the one on the left has spikes on the tail? And this one does not. This is enough information for us to know the species of dinosaur here. We know what this one is. This is our best guess. But this one we can actually identify. And that's only 500 years ago. How y'all doing? Now, the last one I will show you here. 
This comes from an evolutionary source. I think that's why it's so important if you pay special attention to it because this comes from the Scientific American magazine. That's the house organ of the American Museum of Natural History in New York. It is entirely devoted to evolution. But evolutionists themselves wrote in their own publication in the year 1883, describing a small armored dinosaur dying in Bolivia that year. Now when an evolutionist says that they saw a small armored dinosaur die in Bolivia in 1883, don't you think that's worth paying attention to? Because I do. Well, I'm going to take just a moment or two to stop the pictures and just I want to talk with you for a few minutes. Remember that dinosaurs are reptiles. Now, not all reptiles are dinosaurs, but dinosaurs are a form of reptile. What is one of the unique uh, characteristics of reptiles? Certainly one of the most unique characteristics of reptiles is they never stop growing. You know that. You know snakes. The older the snake, the longer the snake. Is that correct? Because reptiles never stop growing. Now, with that in mind, um, I live in Florida, and we have a few reptiles down there in Florida, too. Uh, we call them alligators. Uh, we have so many alligators in Florida where I live, we think of them as neighborhood pets. We do. We think of alligators as neighborhood pets until they get to be about six foot long. Because when an alligator gets to be about six foot long, they sort of go through this personality change, and they get really nasty. And they start eating the cats and the dogs, the babies and the old people, and the tourists. And, and we just hate it when they eat the tourists. We really do. It's just bad for business, you know. And uh, apparently some of you need to think about that. Um, but it's absolutely true. I mean, just a couple of years ago, we had a tourist lose a whole arm to an alligator. If you go back a couple of years before that, we lost a whole tourist to an alligator. Uh, several years before that, we lost three tourists to alligators. Um, but, well, okay, let me explain something. To, apparently, I'm not getting quite across here. Um, a few years ago, back in Miami, in downtown Miami, we trapped a 12-foot-long male alligator, taking it out of a drainage canal in downtown Miami, Florida. Now, this is why we don't have homeless people in downtown Miami, Florida. Now... Think with me for just a moment about these creatures. They never stop growing as long as they're alive. Now, the Bible tells us that men, women, used to live to be 900 years old, right? Um, and today, we only live one-tenth as long as we used to. Now, of course, there are certain advantages to living only one-tenth as long as we used to. I'm sure the ladies will agree. I mean, Eve could have had children for 450 years. I'll let that sink in. Um, but today, you know, people live to be about uh, 90s old age, right? But it used to be in the 900s, right? So we only live about one-tenth as long as we used to. Now, today, uh, male alligators in, in Florida. Now, you have to understand something, folks. We have a million alligators living in the state of Florida today. We even have a hunting season on alligators in the state of Florida today. Um, but... But in the areas where they're not allowed to be hunted, they can reach lengths of 15 feet. Okay? And they have an average life expectancy of 50 years of age. Okay? Um, but today, men have an average lifespan of 75. Yeah. So that means that alligators live to be two-thirds as old as people. Is that correct? Now, please tell me, if there was a time when people used to live to be 900 years old, um, well, how old would the alligator get to be? Well, two-thirds would be 600. Is that right? And they never stop growing. Now, I just showed you crocodiles that were 40 and 50 foot long. Is that correct? Who's to say they aren't the same species we have today, but simply allowed to grow for a longer period of time? That's not an irrational thought. Is that right? And I said that there were dinosaurs on the ark, and I meant that. As a matter of fact, you can see them going in right here. I'm sorry, is that too small for you? Oh, let me show you a close-up, okay? So here they are going in the ark right here. Now, 
But let me share a little piece of information with you. In the year 1824, dinosaurs started to become actually named. The first one was Iguanodon. And between the year 1824 and 2004, 1,401 names had been given to different dinosaurs. But, but in 2004, creationists and evolutionists came to an agreement. You see, first of all, evolutionists are atheists. And atheists are always looking for immortality. Now, how does an atheist get immortality? It's really quite simple. When they find something, they name it after themselves. And that's how they get immortality, really. And, and what we figured out was we had some creatures that had as many as three and four names for the same creature because somebody had found a baby, named it after themselves, found a juvenile, named it after themselves, found an adult, named it after themselves. And suddenly we realized that we had the same creature with many different names. And so in 2004, the list was reduced back to 668. However, because of some recent discoveries, the list is now stands at about 670. But you can group those into 50 to 55 different kinds. And so what did Noah take on the ark? He took kinds. Is that correct? That means you would only need, well, 100 to 110 animals um, to get all the dinosaurs in the ark you'd need. And I want to see how much you know about dinosaurs. So we're going to do a little thing about dinosaurs here for a moment because I want to know how much you know about dinosaurs. I want you to think of every single dinosaur you've ever seen. I don't care whether it's in a movie, uh, textbook, uh, model at a museum, whatever. Just I want you to think about all the different kind of dinosaurs you've ever seen in your life. And then I'd like you to kind of think, what would be the average size of a fully mature dinosaur about ready to drop dead from old age? Now, remember, remember that uh, they never stop growing, okay? So up until the point of death, they never stop growing. So just kind of try to think of all the different dinosaur species you've ever seen in your life. Kind of try to come up with an idea of what would be the average length. Now, first of all, I'm going to give you a little help. Dinosaurs are hatched from eggs. We found lots of dinosaur eggs. And they never stop growing. Uh, the largest we have found so far, the largest we have found so far is a titanosaur in South America at about 125 feet. So that just kind of gives you an upper limit, okay? So thinking about all these creatures, what would you say? Now, I'm just going to take bids, okay? We're going to do a little auction here that way we did the other night. Um, so what is the average length of a fully mature adult dinosaur as found in the fossil record? Can I get some bids? 60 feet. Thank you. I have an opening bid of 60 feet. Yes, sir. I see that hand back there. Your bid? 40. Okay, that feet, correct. Okay, so I have a, an opening bid of, well, 40, 60. Do I have one more bid? I'm sorry? 55, and somebody over here had a bid. What? Hmm? Don't want to say, huh? Oh, 80. Okay, let's see. 40, 60, 55, 82, I think I heard. Um, I, I'm going to stop because you all are heading in the wrong direction. The actual average length of a fully mature adult dinosaur as found in the fossil record is between three foot long and five foot long. The current average length of a fully mature adult dinosaur as found in the fossil record is between three foot long and five foot long. The current average stands at 4.6. Now, how many of you were coming to church tonight and you saw a dog out walking its owner? Excuse me? Don't you have dogs in the neighborhood that are bigger than five foot long? I want you to think about this. When you leave here tonight, the average size fully adult dinosaur was smaller than the large neighborhood dog. Now let's talk about all those animals in the ark. If you don't believe there were dinosaurs in the ark, first of all, would you agree with me? God designed the ark. He sent the animals to Noah he was to take. And would you agree with me? God is like smart. Apparently, I need to repeat that. God is like smart, right? So if you're a God and you're smart and you want these animals to reproduce for as long as possible after the flood to reproduce their kind on the earth, please tell me, 
are you going to take the fully mature adults maybe past the age of reproduction? Or are you going to take the juveniles that are ready to reproduce for as long as possible? You're going to take the juveniles. Now, if the average adult is only 4.6 foot long, well, think with me. Alligators can reach 15 foot long in Florida today, but they start to reproduce between 4 and 6 feet. So that, uh, that means that the dinosaurs in the ark would only average uh, 3 foot long, 2 foot long. Is that about right? You have to remember... Evolutionists want you to think about all the big dinosaurs, you know, they want you to, because they want to impress you, you know. But I want you to think about something with me for just a moment. There were actually a lot of little dinosaurs. Many dinosaurs were only the size of a chicken. There were dinosaurs that were only the size of a squirrel. There were, well, you hiding under there? Because I got one for you. There was one dinosaur, one dinosaur, that was only the size of a mouse. That's right. There was one dinosaur, the only size of a mouse. It's, it's got a great name. It's called a Musasaurus. But technically, that means mouse lizard. So does that change your idea about dinosaurs? And there really were dinosaurs on the ark. They really did reproduce afterwards. And... They slowly, gradually became extinct over time. The last that we know of died in 1883. Now, if you have had any public school education on evolution, you've had a page that looks something like this. Maybe not identical, but something. This is called the geological time scale, or the geological time column. But you've seen something like this. At the top, this is the present, and then this supposedly as we go down in the ground, you go through these various layers, and the layers are supposed to get older and older, correct? And sometimes, next to the layers, you'll see illustrations of creatures that are supposed to have lived at different times in the past, right? I mean, this does sort of kind of look familiar, right? Now, here's what I want you to know tonight. There is not one location on the surface of this earth that you can start at the top of the ground dig straight down and go through all those layers in this order. Don't misunderstand me. There are layers in the ground. There are fossils in many, but not all of the layers. But nowhere can you find the layers exactly as presented in the textbook. This is a fabrication. This is a rearrangement of the layers. You see, what evolutionists do not want you to know is... This is a map of the world. Pins here for 25 locations. These are 25 locations on the surface of the earth where you can find some of the layers in the order shown in the textbook. But there is nowhere that you can find them all in one place. What do evolutionists actually do? What they do is this. They take layers from different places in the world. They'll take a layer from China, a layer from Canada, a layer from Africa, a layer from South America, and they then put the layers in the order they want them. Did you hear that? They put the layers in the order as they want them and then claim that the layers prove that they are right. Now, please tell me. Uh, you might be young, but, but if you rearrange the evidence, can you not prove just anything you want? Is that correct? Right? The single greatest difference between the evolutionary teaching scientist I used to be and the creation-believing scientist and teacher I am today is this. The creationist doesn't rearrange the evidence, and the evolutionist does. And that is a monstrous difference. Because I believe that whatever I find is going to be consistent with the creator God, I have no incentive to rearrange the evidence. The evolutionists must rearrange the evidence before they claim proof, and that is a monstrous difference. And then I have another question for you. Now, this is just a think question. Please tell me, if we could find the thickest layer of any of those layers in the chart, anywhere in the world, wherever it might be, would it not supposedly represent the longest period of time for accumulation of that particular layer? Would you agree? I mean, just conceptually, right? The thickest layer would supposedly be the longest period of time for accumulation of that layer because if you found less, you could always say some had eroded away, correct? So the thickest layer is supposedly going to be 
a representation of the greatest time of accumulation, right? Here's the problem. If you take the thickest layer of any of those layers in the chart found anywhere in the world, bring them all to one spot on the earth, put them in the order shown in the textbook, the layer would, would stack up 76 miles high. What's the problem? The average thickness around the world is only 1.2 miles, meaning that there is 74.8 miles missing. I believe the technical term for that is bummer. Hello? Nowhere in the world can you find the order that you see here. Now, the layers exist, fossils exist, but nowhere can you find them in this order. And please tell me, uh, is this a drawing or a photograph? Oh, that's a drawing. Well, the last time I looked, you can draw anything you want to. Is that right? Oh. And then, of course, don't evolutions teach you that things generally, generally, they say that things get bigger, better, faster, smarter over time, correct? I mean, as a general concept, right? Evolutions say things get bigger, better, faster, smarter over time. And isn't that supposedly how we go from a me but a man? Isn't that right? Ah. Uh. Well, now, I don't know whether you've ever been to Florida, but, but when you come to Florida, you cross over the line driving down there and so forth, you fly in at the airports, you'll see these big signs at the boundaries of Florida and so forth. It says, welcome to the land of insects. Oh, we can grow some hummers down there. One of the reasons I love coming up north here I told you I love it. I got to drive 10 hours north to get to the deep south. But one of the things I love about up here is you don't have some of the things we have in Florida. I love coming up here for that reason, you know. Uh, for instance, down in Florida, we have something called a cockroach. And you don't have those here. No, no, no. You think you have cockroaches here. <laughs> you ain't got cockroaches. We got cockroaches. Our cockroaches are two and a half to two and three quarter inches long. We got cockroaches. Now please tell me, using evolutionary philosophy for just a moment, if today we have cockroaches in Florida, they're two and a half to two and three quarter inches long, and we absolutely do, and if things are supposed to get bigger, better, faster, smarter over time, please tell me, if I supposedly go back millions of years, how big should I find fossil cockroaches? I'm sorry, sir, do you have, I, I, I like that, but do you have a word to go with that? Tiny, thank you, thank you. Tiny. I bet you know the other one, itty-bitty, right? Yeah. How come, you, I, how come I didn't get the big words like microscopic or minuscule, but, but tiny's good, I like that, okay? And, and by the way, by the way, you and I have talked, I think you've got a fine mind, and, and I think if evolution were true, you'd be absolutely right. I want you to understand that, okay? Here's the problem. If we go back in the fossil record, we find cockroaches that are more than six inches long. Anybody here got a problem with a cockroach more than six feet long? Or six inches, I beg your pardon. <laughs> hey, look, there's nothing wrong with a cockroach that's six inches long. Here's what you do. You buy a leash and you walk them twice a day, you know? <laughs> so, well, now, Again, when I was an evolutionist, getting my undergraduate degree, my first degree, Bachelor of Science in Evolution, my, my parents didn't have enough money for me to have a car. And, and I mentioned, you know, I had to hitchhike, right? Y'all do remember that, right? That I had to hitchhike? <laughs> now, that got old, and it got dangerous. So eventually, I did end up with a motorcycle. I never had a car when I was in, in college, but I did end up with a motorcycle, and it had to be powerful enough to go on, you know, on interstates and so forth. And uh, when I did not go home on, you know, long weekends or breaks at the university, I used to tour all over the place. And, and I've been in this state since the 60s. And, well, I used to ride a motorcycle, and I seem to recall that here in Alabama, you have something called a dragonfly. Is that correct? As a matter of fact, you have a couple of different species of dragonflies here, right? And the wingspans of the dragonflies around here, they go from about an inch and a half to maybe, a, what, about four inches? Is that about right? I mean, close, right? About an inch and a half to about four. Have any of you ever seen a dragonfly with a six-inch wingspan? 
Excellent. By the way, may I ask where you saw it? Everglades, thank you. I was going to say, certainly if you go to the swamps of the Everglades or Louisiana, South Carolina, you will find dragonflies with six-inch wingspans. I appreciate you agreeing there. Um, and believe me, there are dragonflies with six-inch wingspans. I used to ride a motorcycle. I've met some. I'd like to show you one, as a matter of fact. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is a dragonfly. This is a live dragonfly. And from the tip of the wing here to the tip of the wing there, that is six inches across. Anybody happen to notice what that dragonfly is sitting on top of? No? Take a close look. You don't notice the fossil dragonfly with the head right here? The body that goes to here, the tail that goes off the screen, the two wings here and the two wings there, that fossil dragonfly? Oh, yeah, that's a fossil dragonfly. But that's not what's important about it. What is important about it is that fossil dragonfly is a baby that's a baby fossil dragonfly. You see, adult dragonflies found in the fossil record have wingspans of 36 inches. For those of you kind enough to purchase my book on creation, that photograph is in there. Although I noticed apparently you didn't have a whole lot of reaction here. Um, well, think about a 36-inch wing dragonfly for a second. Let's say you're on the interstate headed to Mobile. You're doing about 75. And, and this dragonfly with a 36 wing, wingspan flies in front of you. I mean, you're talking about serious car wash. Poss possibly windshield replacement, you know. And if you're on a motorcycle, I don't even want to discuss it, actually. Um, but tell me, are things getting bigger, better, faster, smarter, or are they getting smaller, slower, and dumber? Oh, actually, things are getting smaller, slower, and dumber. They're not getting bigger, better, faster, smarter. Oh, now again, don't evolutionists say that things change over time? I mean, that's one definition of the word. Evolutionists change over time. But don't they say that one kind evolves into another kind, then evolves into another kind, then evolves into another? Isn't that what the evolution says? Now, when you became a Christian, did you leave your brain at the door? Look, look, I told you there's no trick questions in any of my presentations. Okay. When you became a Christian, did you leave your brain at the door? No. Then aren't you going to, uh, well, as a thinking, prudent, intelligent human being, don't you want to check out and see whether things actually do or don't change over time? And let's see whether they do or they don't. Now, here, this is the close-up photograph of the top of the head of a little ant that today lives in Mexico. This is a piece of amber from the Dominican Republic with a dead ant inside. Now, according to evolutionists, this amber is 25 to 40 million years old. Do you see any difference? No, no difference at all. Or, this is a ginkgo tree, uh, a very unique flat fan-shaped uh, tree. It does grow here in Alabama. Um, but this is a uh, fossil ginkgo leaf, and according to evolutionists, there's 150 million years between those two photographs. Do you see any more difference than you would expect to see between any two leaves on any one tree? Nah. Or, how about this? These are uh, horseshoe crabs. Now, this is obviously a fossil horseshoe crab. Now, this fossil found in 2008... Well, things are supposed to change over time, but according to evolutionists, between the fossil and these live creatures, it's supposed to be 445 million years. But there's no change, is that correct? Or how about chambered nautilus? Maybe you've seen the shells cut in half with a beautiful spiral inside and so forth. Now, this is a quote from the infamous National Geographic I told you you should never get your education from, but... In the magazine, it says this, and I quote over here. Here it says, it remains essentially the same as its ancestors of one or 18 million years ago, a living link with the past. So according to the National Geographic, this creature has not changed in 180 million years. Now, you've seen shells of chambered nautilus 
often used for decorations. And today, they're eight inches across as adults. So a fully grown adult is about eight inches across. Here, here's the problem. In the state of Arkansas, we have found the fossil shell of the chambered nautilus, which is eight feet across. Now, as you can see, they haven't changed, right? Right? Yeah, right. Are things getting bigger, better, faster, smarter, or smaller, slower, and dumber? Yeah, they're getting smaller, slower, and dumber over time. Now, this is supposed to be one of the world's oldest fossil bats, dated by evolutionists, 34 to 56 million supposed years old, and yet it looks exactly like bats do today. And, well, this is Chief Mountain in the state of Montana. I show you this picture because if you were here Monday, I sh proved to you adequately, I hope, there is absolutely no scientific technology that can date anything beyond written records. Carbon-14 doesn't work. It has 20 scientific flaws. Potassium argon, rubidium strontium, they all have at least six fatal flaws. Carbon-14 doesn't work. Any knowledgeable evolutionist knows these things don't work, correct? Therefore, how do evolutionists tell you how old? How do they figure out how old a fossil is or, or a rock? They don't use modern science because there's no modern science available that can do it. So I want to illustrate for you how evolutionists actually date fossils and date rocks. But you have to look at me for just a moment, okay? This is actually the way they do it. There's no technology involved. There's no science technology involved at all. How do they date fossils and how do they date rocks? It's this way. You'll find a rock layer and a fossil inside. They date the rock by the fossil you find inside the rock. Then they tell you how old the rock is by the fossil that's inside. I am absolutely serious. They tell you how old the rock is by the fossil that's in it. Then they tell you how old the fossil is by the rock you found it in. Hello? It's absolutely true, folks. It's what's called self-serving circular reasoning, okay? Now, I'm showing you Chief Mountain because I have pictures from all over the world of mountains that are upside down, backwards, layers missing, out of order, etc. But Chief Mountain is just such a great example of this since our own state of Montana. Now what you see here is this top gray rock. You can see many, many layers in it, right? Now remember that sedimentary rock is just layers of dried out mud, correct? So sedimentary rock is just layers of dried out mud, and you only find fossils in layers of dried out mud. Now, first of all, that ought to tell you that all the fossils come from a big flood. That's the first thing. But, but here you can clearly see layers, and this is one kind of dried out mud up here, but it sits directly on a layer of dried out mud below. Now, these two layers contain fossils, but the fossils are different. And because of that, evolutionists tell us the top part here, because of the fossils in that, they say the top here is 1.5 billion years old. But because of the fossils down here, and please understand, there isn't even dust between these two layers. It's just one on top of the other. Uh, but because of the fossils contained in the bottom layer, they tell us that the bottom layer down here is 110 million. Anybody have a problem with that? Let me explain to you something for everybody, especially the younger ones here. The two most important questions in science, the two most important questions that every scientist should ask. First question, what is there? Meaning that when I make a scientific observation, I should adequately and accurately describe what is present, what is there. The second, more important question in science is, what is not there? And what is not there is more important. Please tell me, evolutionists say the top layer is 1.5 billion supposed years old. The bottom layer is supposedly 110. That's what's there according to their dating methods. 
Please tell me what is not there. Okay, what's not there but ought to be? Ah, the 1.4 billion years in between, is that correct? Yeah. These layers are upside down, backwards according to evolutionary religion, and there's 1.4 billion years missing in between. And this is not rare. We find this all over the world. Hello? Now, because of the school night, because of the youth that are being here, and thank you for coming. We're so glad you're here. I'm going to stop right now, but there is far more material available to you. We have three videos. We have books for all ages on dinosaurs. It's the most important subject that people are interested in. But the fact of the matter is, when we take a look at the dinosaurs, when we take a look at the fossils, when we take a look at the layers in the ground, it does not support evolution. It supports creation. It supports a single worldwide flood burying all these animals at the same time. And therefore, it refutes evolution and proves creation. You really can trust the Bible. Amen? Amen, Pastor.